<laughs> hey now, what up though? It's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon. And what Patreon is, it's going to help you the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right, looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode, I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes that's right jsc exclusives you'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else for ten dollars or more per episode now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show you got a business you want me to talk about it i want you to sponsor my show for ten dollars hit me up send me the script i'm putting you over plus you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now, what's good? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, once again, J. Scott Smith here as we continue episode 61, episode 61, part 2, if you will. 61.5 if you will. Considering that episode 61, which was, I guess, part A, part one is what you heard, which is up now, dealing with uh, the Lions giving the Ziggy to Jim Caldwell, that one ran a little longer than I figured it would. So rather than try to cram all this together into one big-ass show that probably would go close to two hours, and we can't have too many two-hour shows around here, especially with Here's a little spoiler alert. Another WWE retro review coming. I want to make sure that I gave this interview its proper distance. If you recall, about a year ago, Jasmine Duke made a very memorable appearance on this show. Well, at the time, she was in the process of writing a book talking about her amazing relationship with her father, who lives in Minnesota. The name of the book It's called, I'm Black and I Have a Dad. And I told her, if you remember, I promised we would have her back on here to talk about said book. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We had our conversation. Now, this conversation, full disclosure, was recorded a few weeks ago, prior to Christmas. And it hits on just about anything you could imagine between their relationship to growing up in Minnesota to the, I mean, pretty much you'll hear it all. And you're going to hear every bit of it in its glory. It's damn near an hour long. But I feel that this one is very, very necessary to hear. Because it's pretty dope to hear of a very interesting relationship between a black father and his daughter. Especially a daughter as dynamic 
And, yes, Jazz, I'm going to say this, as weird as Jasmine is. And you know I say that because I got nothing but love for you. So, as we head into episode 61.5 of the People's Podcast, I would like to simply say thank you, as always, for your support. Doing a little housekeeping here. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at JScottSmith. You can follow the show at JSC Radio. Be sure to subscribe to the damn show, whether it's on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash JSC Radio, whether it's on iTunes, a.k.a. Apple Podcasts. Just look up JSC Radio. Hit the subscribe button. You ain't got to do nothing else. It's also on Audio Boom. It's also on Stitcher Radio. It's also on just about every damn podcast provider you can think of. Google Play. We're working on getting to Spotify at some point. So i got to figure out how to make that happen. We're not there yet, but we're working on it. Be sure to support the show, and of course, Support the show on Patreon. Become a patron at patreon.com slash JSC Radio. And naturally, show love to the show on the mothership. That's jscottsmith.com, where you can not only listen to the show, you can check out the blogs, and you can even book me to speak at your engagements. Hit your boy up. So without further ado, let's jump in the Wayback Machine a little bit and talk to Jasmine and her dad about what it's like to grow up in Minnesota with their dynamic. You're listening to the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. It almost seems like it's becoming a tradition here in January where I bring this young lady in, except this time she's not coming alone. Y'all remember her from, we talked last year. It was a rather well-known conversation we had where she didn't exactly hold back. Something that I would say about, uh, as, as far as a mission statement about why female sexuality or sexually empowered women matters to me is because I really, really firmly believe that this next wave of feminism, we have to have women who are allowed to have their own unique individual sexuality that is not disrespected, you know, that is is not, we don't have respect or things taken from us because we are our own individual sexual beings. And I think on on the surface, when I say stuff like that, it just sounds like, you know, I want to suck all the dick I want and don't want anybody to talk to me about it, right? <laughs> and along the way, quiet you, along the way, <laughs> I, can, I can say that she had one of the most distinctive interviews of 2017 that held up through the entire damn year. Just to give you an idea of who she is, she's the founder of The Female Condition, better known as FemCon a web magazine centered around creating a feminist community that empowers women to live their best lives. And she's also an author. Her book is I'm Black and I Have a Dad. It sounds very simple, but it's really complex. And we're about to find out more about that because, ladies and gentlemen, making her illustrious return, our first return guest to the show, is Miss Jasmine Duke. But she did not come alone. She brought the dad in the I'm Black and I Have a Dad with her, the distinguished Mr. Aaron Duke, who served our country in the United States Marine Corps. I'd like to welcome both of you to JSC Radio. Thank you for a nice intro. Oh, sir, it's my pleasure. What's going on, Jazz? So, I'm going to get right to it. What inspired you to write this book? And give me some insight. I mean, obviously people can get the book. You can go on Amazon.com, for example, to get this book. But people who haven't bought the book as of yet... Give people some idea of the relationship with your dad and what inspired you to write this book. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Well, first and foremost, I love my dad, which is 
probably a pretty core piece in writing a book about him. Um, but beyond the pleasantries and the fun stories and the, the heartfelt, you know, single dad, daughter story, I really think that it's important for us to start to change the narrative that we hear about black families and black men. Um, as the title alludes to, I'm black and I have a dad, you know, I, I am black and I have a dad. And we often hear a narrative about, you know, black men are thugs, they're criminals, they don't take care of, you know, their kids, there's just these kids out here with no dads. But that's actually very far from the statistical truth of black fathers. And so I, I really wanted to, to give something to the world to talk about what black families really are, who black people really are. There's a line in the book where I actually say that it is my hope that through reading the book, you get to see the black man that I was born of through my eyes. And that was really like what I was going for is showing that very human, very positive side of being raised with a single black father. Now, and I know in the book you describe how it came to be that you ended up with your dad because it's so rare to see a father get custody of his of his daughter, get custody of his child. So in the book it described it pretty well, but and I, and I guess I can ask I can ask Mr. Duke this is that for you on your end, what was that like for you in that time period where it was it's discussed in the book that there were issues with depression and there's and Jazz talks about her her uh, maternal grandfather and everything. But for you, what was that like for you during that whole ordeal where you're not sure what's going to happen with your marriage and now you're you've got this little girl here? What what's that? What was that like for you? Um, I, I would say it was probably a mix between the most horrific time in my life and the most rewarding. And I'll be more specific about that. Um, I don't think any of us that go, you know, that choose to get married to someone and believe we have found our soulmate and our life mate, we don't we don't plan to get divorced. So I, I did not plan for my marriage to Jasmine's mother to, to end, nor did I plan to I didn't set out to be a single father. Um, that was that was not the plan. Um, so so that was pretty scary when all that process was taking place. I was I was still in my twenties, pretty young. Um, but, but when I say it was the best time, one thing that, that for me at least never changed, it was my desire to, to be a, uh, not only an active participant in, in Jasmine's, um, life, but to be, to be that lead role. Um, that was, I, I, she, Jasmine wasn't an accident. <laughs> so I had, she was a planned thing with, with my wife and I at the time. And I had plans for her, and and just because my ex-wife and I chose not to be together, didn't alter the fact that I still had plans for this little girl, um, and what I thought I wanted to, what I wanted to, what I thought the present I could give the rest of the world, um, and that and that never changed. But I will tell you, it was really scary. No, oh, I'm sh- I'm sure it was. It's the. I, I think about it from, I mean, my experience was my mother was single for a few years before she remarried. And I was so little, I didn't know any of that was going on. I don't find out for years later how difficult that is. And now putting it on its ear and imagining what it's like for you to have that, to have it happen in that scenario, I, I can only imagine how difficult that was. And Jazz, if you want, obviously you wrote the book, but if you want to chime in, feel free. I, I know she, yeah. to, you told a lot of your story in the book about this about how I you did. two about how you two kind of 
grew together, essentially. I mean, I think the impressive part about what my dad did is that I never knew how hard it was. Like, as a child, I just never... I never knew it was as hard as it actually was because I never felt unwanted. It was, we were together every day. It was never a question and it was never a problem. I mean, sometimes I felt like it was a problem, to be honest, because I didn't always like being dragged around or chopping wood on my weekends. But for him, (laughs) like, she was like, we're going to be together. This is me and you forever. And I was kind of like, hold up. Like, when? (laughs) Forever, forever. So I think, though, from a kid's perspective, you know, and and I just always felt very loved and sometimes even too loved, right? Like almost annoyed sometimes that he always wanted to be with me. But that's that's a very comforting thing for a child to grow up knowing that your parents want you there 24-7, even when you're, you know, teen and full of angst and even when you're little and tearing up their house and ruining the carpet they just paid for and I just never felt like he didn't want me there. And now as I look back on it as a, you know, 32-year-old adult who hasn't even had kids yet because I'm still, like, mildly horrified by the thought. (laughs) like, jeez, I can't imagine being in my 20s and having this three-year-old tearing up my house. And I'm, like, behind closed doors paying attorney's fees trying to make sure she stays here. (laughs) Yeah, I was I was asking I was asking for it, right? Begging, just begging. <laughs> and now I and I I think I I was as I was reading through this and I was reading through the book and just the different story. I mean, it's it's funny you bring up the going out and chopping wood because we're all we're all Midwesterners here. You two are from Minnesota. I'm from Michigan, and we all kind of have that. It's a different vibe. It's a different kind of life. Living out in that part of the country, as I've tried to explain to people here in Philadelphia, like it, it's being in being in Michigan is like you don't, I don't think y'all get it, and I've and I've been to Minnesota a couple of times, and I know it's a different type of life there. She mentioned that people don't leave. It is very provincial in the Midwest. When she, I was reading when you were telling the story about how you chose to go to Arizona State, and and Mister Duke, that was your that was kind of your at your kind of pushing her to get out of the state and get away from Minnesota and kind of step out on her own. So it, it, let me back up just a little bit. I, I just want to, I'll share this. And cause I've had, I recently have had two, two other friends that I spend time with who recently had their first children. And I've had both of them kind of come to me at different occasions and say, you know, what's the trick, you know, how do you do it? And that kind of thing. Cause they're looking at, at, at my success story, which is Jasmine. And, and I, that she is my success story. Um, and I told them that there's two rules. And uh, before I give the two rules, the first thing is everybody who gives you advice about child rearing is usually wrong. Um, and the reason is, <laughs> and all those books and everything, great baseline, but it's wrong. And the reason it is is because they have they're real people and they have personalities. So, the, so the two rules that I kind of did with Jasmine were number number one is always be consistent with a kid. <laughs> And, and number two is always make sure they understand how much they're loved and unconditionally loved. And, and it's the key there is that they get that, not that you just know it. Um, but I, I also want to take just a moment to, to, to make sure we're, I'm clear about something. Jasmine's written a book about, you know, I'm black and I have a dad. Okay, so that's, that's, that's the story of, of her journey with me. But the reality is, is that I didn't, I, this wasn't something that I came up with. I had a dad, 
Um, my both my parents, my mother and father, they are very active in my life today and always have been. And I have twelve siblings. Um, so through the when you talk about you know the the black experience, we were very much a, an inner city you know welfare welfare family in the early years of my life with all these kids and and it truly takes a village and back then it did um in our neighborhood there you know it was not unusual for a mom or dad down the street to chastise you or send you home to tell your parents something you did so that's how it was and i i i just want to take a second to say i think it's one of the things we're missing today with our kids is that that it takes a village uh, philosophy and it would be really nice if we could do things to get that back. Um, but I, my parents were very involved and always had been. You know, you talked about um, me being in my 20s and having Jasmine. And so I'll tell a very brief story here that um, I called my mother, 28 years old. I've got a three, four-year-old daughter. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like six months into this. And all of a sudden I realized I'm going to, I'm going to, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm going to ruin this child. So, so I had that moment of doubt, um, which if you if you, if you know Jasmine, and Jasmine has a lot of my characteristics, for me to doubt myself doesn't happen very often. I'm, I'm one of those people that challenge myself um, often and, and drive for results on whatever it is I'm going to do. I always have a plan and I'm always working the plan. So for me to doubt myself is not something that I normally spend any time thinking about. But during this time, I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to ruin this poor child because I don't have a clue what I'm doing. And I called my mother and and literally, you know, 28 year old man. And I'm in tears on the phone talking to her, telling her, mom, you know, I you know, it was the right thing to do. But I don't what I do now. And I remember her. Here's what her reaction was. Her reaction was she started to laugh at me. Oh, wow. And and, and well, right. That was my that was my reaction. My reaction was. <laughs> Oh my gosh, she's <laughs> laughing at me when I'm burying my soul. I'm a, I'm a grown man, not only a grown man, I'm a grown black man, so we don't show them. <laughs> you know, and I come from a and I come from a family where that you don't do that. So I'm sitting there going, Wow, you caught me in this, you know, one of a dozen times half dozen times in my life where something like this has had, you know, where I've shown some emotion and you're laughing at me. And the way she approached it when she started laughing at me, it disarmed me in such a way that I then started to laugh. It's, and that's when that's when my mother shared with me her feelings about me and me as a man. And I remember it being one of one of the first conversations where I've ever had with my mom, where she's talked talked to me about her pride in me and the things that I've done as a man that she appreciated. Certainly doesn't mean that I don't make mistakes; I make them all the time. Um, and that she, and basically she left me with, if you just do the best you can and you approach it the way you have approached life. She had no doubt in the fact that I would raise a successful child, and and that meant an awful lot to me. And and over the years, I've had similar conversations even with my father. So, you know, so I'm going to stop talking now. But that I just wanted to lay that foundation to, to people to know that you know it it it's not a job I did by myself. I had a support structure in place. I have a loving family that that was that was there for me and helped me with with Jasmine. Um, and I had all those doubts that we all have about, dude, what the heck did I get myself into? Um, but ultimately, if you, you know, if you have a plan and work the plan and, and keep, keep fighting the good fight every day, it does work out. How much of an influence did being in the Marine Corps have on that, on your attitude? <laughs> um, I don't, uh, um, so yes, I, I mean, 
nowadays people talk a lot about being a vet and, and that kind of thing. I um, I don't know that my Marine Corps experience had a whole lot to do with my the way I wrote, wrote, raised Jasmine. And, and I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit. Um, I was raised in a household with a father who was very militant. Um, my my dad he ran the house with an iron like an iron you know with an iron fist and you didn't we were taught to respect ourselves and to respect others and to and to not half ass do anything and that started at an early age and that was my dad so when Jasmine talks about splitting firewood those are direct results of my father's influence on me to um, as a as a youngster and coming up teaching us how to build how to do carpentry work how to do uh, concrete work, how to how to fend for ourselves, and one of the things that Jasmine to this day still teases me about is she likes to rub it in that she will not do any of the maintenance work on her own vehicle. Not a thing. <laughs> and, 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 and it's not because she doesn't know how. I made sure she knew how to change a flat tire. I made sure she knew how to check her fluids. I made sure she could do those basic things because as a parent it's part of my job is to make sure that my kids i have been not only exposed to as much as i can expose them to but have the skills to do the things in life that they need to do now whether they choose to ever do them or not is a different and that's what i've explained to jasmine i don't care whether she ever touches her car ever but it's not because she can't it's because she chooses to to do something different with her life and she can afford to because she's positioned herself to be able to afford to do those kinds of things exactly those are always the rules i think that's a really important point um as you mentioned earlier jay i am the founder of the female condition which is a web magazine really about women rising and you know i i wrote this book about you know just having this black dad and changing this narrative but i also think there's a very deeply feminist vibe about this book and it's because I was very much raised to be a feminist. And it's it's not because my dad ever said, hey, feminist, you over here, you love women's rights. <laughs> it's because he raised me to have all the opportunities as if I was a son. And not only just the opportunities for education to do things, but also he was very firm with me that I would know how to do everything. And, you know... It's, it's arguable whether you need to know how to lay concrete and put up sheetrock. <laughs> but I know how to do it. And that was always the point is, like, you're going to know how to do these things because you're going to know how to build a life that you want. And if you don't want to do things, like, you know, like your own car maintenance, and my suggestion would be that you get yourself into a position where you can financially afford to have other people do that for you. And I think that lesson for me started very young. And so by the time I got into the adult world, it was really easy for me to kind of transition to the like, okay, you either got to do stuff or you got to afford for other people to do it for you. How much money do I need to not do this anymore? (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, I I get that. I, I, I was actually, there's a young lady that, I, I mentor and I mess with her about this is that she's she reminds me a lot of you honestly Jasmine is that she's it's like she can do anything she just chooses not to do certain things we live out here in a I'm out here in Philadelphia she lives over in New Jersey on the other side and in New Jersey they don't pump their own gas they don't they don't get out of the car they don't pump their own gas it's full service in New Jersey you come over to Pennsylvania you got to get out and pump your gas like you know the rest of us do but she finds ways to get people to to pump her gas for her. And I laughed at her about this. She says, hey, 
just because I am a feminist, I can do it. I choose not to. And I'm able to get some. Let me add something here. And, you know, Jasmine made the comment, you know, I didn't say, hey, you feminist. Because to be honest with you, I, I still struggle with, and this is, this is some of my old school philosophies, but um, to me, it's, it's not about being a feminist. It's, it's about being, being a black person in America. And, and, and girl or boy, male or female, you know, it's the, 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 the narrative, some parts of it change a little bit, but the baseline doesn't. And that is, we live in a society, and, and I would say we have, a, a, we have these platforms like we have today. Now, when I was a kid, there were far fewer. Um, technology has done some great things for us, but there were far fewer. And so it, it, I, when you're, you know, I've, I've had this conversation recently with some of my white friends where they talk about like uh, Black Lives Matter as an example. And one of the one of the conversations I have with them, and I tell them, and so I'm headed somewhere with this actually, is is how do you explain to your child what the world's going to be for them? How do you prepare them? Because isn't that what we're to do as parents is to prepare them for their future as uh, productive adults in our society. And, and Jasmine, so I didn't look at it, and, and, and maybe this is because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. So <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't look at it that she was um, feminist or, or macho man or anything. I looked at it that this is, a, this is a black child that has to grow up and be a black adult in a world that's not designed for her. And I, I am a believer that change is best instituted from within. And this is where I, I, I got a big kick out of the fact Jasmine has talked to me now a couple times about people thinking that she and I agree on everything, and which is nothing could be further from the truth. Um, we, we do, our base values are the same, but our approach to things can be totally different. And some of that is, you know, I'm a, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, you know, and, and she's a child of the 80s and 90s. Um, so, so those opportunities and that the visibility and, and how we are dealt with as blacks um, is different. It, we still fight the same fight, but our ability to stand up for ourselves has a whole different flavor now. And, and I was talking about the Black Lives Matter thing and, and some of the conversations I've had with some of my white friends is, what do you tell your son or daughter who's about to go out and embark in this world and go off to college or whatever, what do you tell them about their interactions with the police? Because they will have them at some point. And what do you tell them about their interactions at the local grocery store or their interactions in other places? They don't have to deal with the getting stopped by the police and being asked, what are you doing here? Not because you're speeding or done anything illegal. So what, so what does that mean? Um, so what do you tell your kids? And I think, for me at least, it's trying to set the narrative with them and get them to start thinking about our existence here is different. And that's some of the things that I instilled in Jasmine. And I always told her, you know, you have to fight for what you want. You have to, put, you have to do, be five times better. Um, and, it's, and it's not because you are in any way um, less than someone else. It's because we live in a world that requires that of you because you're black. So that, so, so I, you know, I just want to be clear. I didn't have any foresight to say that, Jasmine. I love what she's doing with Femicon, and I am 150 percent um, supporting her. I, I, I do. I will also say though that she doesn't always have to share with me some of some of the stuff that she's doing as an adult because she's still my baby. But yeah, but I'm 100 percent behind her. 
but it wasn't because I wanted her to be a feminist, but it was because I wanted her to take the, to grab the world by the nuts, excuse the analogy, and shake it to the screen. Oh my. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and while we try to get a grip on all that we've learned so far during this first part of the interview, we're going to go to this quick break, but coming back, things get a little bit more serious. We get a little bit more, uh... Woken, I probably should say. That's probably the best word to use here, but I mean, figuring that I'm interviewing a young lady who runs a website called The Female Condition, I think being a little awoken during this show might make total sense. So yeah, we're going to be hitting some uh, some heavy topics dealing with race in America, what it's like being a black man in America, a black man raising a daughter, plus we talk more about the dynamic of Jasmine and her dad, being able to get along so well, and with Jasmine being the product of an interracial relationship. I told you it gets real here. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the 61st episode of The People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and we'll be back after this. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm gonna let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. (laughs) Hey now, it's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows, such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. You don't have the Stitcher app? Simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. This is JSC Radio. This is the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Welcome back. Jay Scott Smith here, episode 61 and a hook. Back at it again. Going to rejoin the interview with Jasmine and her dad, Aaron Duke, in a moment. Want to thank my man, Doc Gillingsworth who's been dropping all these amazing ass beats on me since early in the year last year. Go to his SoundCloud page as well as go to bandcamp.com slash Illingsworth. Also want to big up my man Awesome Jones. He's the guy who made the beat that you hear underneath me right now, actually. My man Awesome Jones. Visit him on SoundCloud at Awesome Jones. O-S-S-I-M-J-O-N-E-S. You also can follow him on Twitter at Awesome Jones. We're going to pick this interview up after Mr. Duke said that Jasmine is the type of girl who wants to grab the world by the schwanz and shake it. 
we had a little fun, but now as we head into part two of the interview, we start to get really, really real about the most obvious dynamic here. Jasmine named the book, I'm Black and I Have a Dad, so it's time to start talking about being black. This is the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio, and let's get back down to business. I hear that, and I mean, and just hearing you say that, because I'm, I'm, I guess I'm from the generation that's in between yours and Jasmine's. I was born 1979, so I'm old. I'm just kind of coming. I was born end of the 70s, lived through the whole 80s, into the 90s. So I've been on both ends of the spectrum. So to hear you describe it, I mean, I've been that guy who's been stopped on highways. I tell people the story of when I was driving through Michigan, getting stopped for doing 40 and a 45, <laughs> getting. Yeah, yeah. Get, getting followed around Michigan State's campus one night after a party by a cop, being asked, what are you doing here? Where were you going? The constantly having to check in. And I've always been one to relate. I've always tried to relate what femi- what women go through and a lot of the feminist ideology with what with black people, black men go through. Because in its, in its essence, it's all discrimination. And we all, uh-huh. have to, and we're, it's kind of trained into our head that or at least at an early age it's like this is how it is but now people want to fight it they don't want to stand there and say oh yeah this well you know this is how it was when i grew up well, this ain't the time you grew up <laughs> it's yeah, it's 2017 this ain't not this ain't yeah. 1957 or 67 right. or 87 right. or or even 97 when i was in college it's a different time right and thank god that we have more of that platform now where back in the day with martin luther king and 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 farrakhan and others that 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 preceded us they they did their level best to get the message out and they did it through rallies and walks and the like now we have the benefit of technology the difference between the back the black lives matter movement which by the way is not new but the difference between it today and 15 10 15 20 years ago is because of technology you now get to see the young black man who's sitting in the park playing because he's a 12 year old kid and the cop pulling up and not even getting out of the car and shooting him from the window or the guy that gets pulled over because he's selling cigarettes and six cops beat him and kill him on the ground in front of you you now get that visual we get to now see that visual my whole life when i tried to explain to people that when i owned a house in minnetonka which is a a expensive suburb in minnesota that my brother and i owned together that we used to get stopped driving home every night that we had to plan into our into our day if we were headed to work the extra hour because we had to plan for the fact that the day may be the day we're going to get stopped again and have to talk to the cop for a half an hour and not get a ticket because you haven't done anything. So so um, so what the difference today is now we have the ability to to see these things to bring it into the ivory towers that people sit in. I, 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 I am not a poor person, so I, I work with professionals all day long. I live in a suburb, so I, you know, so I'm listening to people talk about things that they, they simply don't understand. So this gives us an opportunity to show them some of that stuff. Now the sad commentary is because we now have that opportunity and because we have people that are challenging and questioning, you now have a rise in the, the supremacist groups and the and the groups that want to do want to see us go back to oh when America was great, which was at a time <laughs> which was at a time when the rest of us minorities and women alike were downtrodden. Yep. 
And and so now those people are coming out of the woodwork because we've given them, we've given rise to that. Not that it ever went away, but we've given rise to that because we are now threatening their superiority. Right. And we're, so, yeah. we're, we're living in a time right now where especially these last, this last two and a half, three years, where I hear my, my, both of my, my, my parents are still alive. My mother is in her seventies. You wouldn't know it by talking to her, but she's in her seventies and she, she was in her twenties during the civil rights movement. And she said, this is no different than what it was like in 1965, 1966. Now it's, it's like they're, they're trying to get back. They're trying to fight that battle that was litigated 50 years ago. They're re they're refighting it now. And there are people who either are ignorant to history or they did. They didn't like how history panned out, so they want to make a change, and they want to take yeah. it out on black people. They want to take it out on women. They want to take it out on brown people. They want to go after everybody who's not really old and white, because it's just how it works. Yeah, and I and for those who are listening for the first time, yes, we get real. If this makes you uncomfortable, good. So <laughs> it's supposed to. It, it's supposed it's to. It's not, it, it don't feel good. It's it's not supposed to feel good. And this is interesting. Change doesn't doesn't always feel good. Jay, Jay, I'll tell you a recent thing that just happened to me. This week, a woman at my job said to me that I thought we had ended the racial issues when we um, had when we put Barack Obama in the White House. Oh boy! The people didn't <laughs> so, believe that. The people actually, and she honestly believed it. And, and my response to her was, um, "You should talk to some more people." <laughs> If, if, you, you know what I'm saying? Because you have to remember, if you don't have that experience, if you don't, if the only black people you know, it's it, this is as crazy as Donald Trump saying that he loves the Mexicans and the Hispanics, and and lots of them work for him. Well, since when? Since when? When you go into your job in corporate America, does the CIO or CEO of the company come by your desk and talk to you, or if you're the janitor, talk to you other than to say good evening on his way out? Did that if, so, if that. Yeah, it's a yeah. it's a ridiculous conversation to have, um, you know. And, and it the is fact- part of what if you don't know, and that's and I think this is why it is so important, especially in a day and age where we can you know throw up websites in five minutes, where we can get on social and spread a message to you know mil- potentially millions of people very quickly, is to start to give people opportunities to meet people that they don't see. Because I think a lot of that is if you live in predominantly white areas and you never really met a Muslim person or a black person or anybody, right? It's easy for you to get inundated with this idea that those people are bad, those people are wrong, and to carry that, right? Or to have just idiotic beliefs, like having one black man rise means that, you know, all the blacks in the nation are cool now. Like, what? <laughs> well, and, and, and I actually, I correlate that to some of my own experiences. And I had a, the most recent one was actually during Jasmine's graduation party, where I had a conversation with one of the other parents, who happened to be white, who actually, uh, we spent some time talking, and he was explaining to me why we should kill all gang members, and they're, none of them are redeemable. And when we walked that into... Well, what about if his 15-year-old stole the car? What should the outcome of that be? Well, that was different. And it actually got to a point he was, he was, he was being so offensive unintentionally that I said to him, I kept having to remind him that I'm black. <laughs> and, I, and, and his response, meaning no offense, was I'm one of the good ones. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Because, no, but, that's, but fun. that's real. And I've I heard that a few times, actually. Yeah, and 
explained that he, that, that he was that he was being offensive um, because because he didn't get it, and that's one of the problems with our entitlement society today. Yeah. Is that it allows people like that who, who, in most, in a lot of cases, because of their lack of exposure, if you will, have these these thoughts running through their mind. Um, and, and but but it's 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 called self it's self segregation. That's what that was the goal of segregation in the first place. If I keep you away from them, then I can tell the story. Everywhere from from blacks aren't smart enough. We have tales. Uh, we're, we're descendants from the apes in the trees. All of those stories I can tell you if you have no, if your only exposure to them is what I tell you. It's the same thing with you, when you watch the TV, when when you watch the news. If it's a black suspect, the first thing they say is black male. If it's a white su- suspect, the first thing you hear is the incident, and then they follow it up with, and this is who the police is looking for, someone that looks like this. So it sets that tone and that narrative that black means bad and black male means criminal. And, and they've done that forever. And and the, and so if I keep you guys away from them, you know, and that's why people like me get to be toted as the potentially, potentially one of the good ones. But what the hell does that mean? You know? <laughs> We know what that means. That's a dog whistle. That's a dog right. whistle for you guys are less than, but we're going to let you, this one. In the back door. Yeah, and, and, and it's the same thing. We, the Women follow the, get, get the same thing in a, in a, it's the same stuff. It's the same dog whistle. It's the, you know, you can't run the corporation. We watched it with Hillary Clinton running for president. What we heard is because she was a woman, she couldn't have her finger on the trigger of the nuclear devices because, you know, she might be at that time of the month. Oh boy! And heaven forbid. And instead, and instead, we have this crazy man in there. Right. It's it, it's. I I swear, it's like listening to this. It's like essentially, it's like reading the book again. Again, I'm talking to I'm talking to Jasmine Duke, the author of I'm Black and I Have a Dad, and her dad, Aaron Duke. We're both here on JSC Radio, and it's you bring up the the race thing. And growing up, I grew up in I was I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Detroit, heavily black. Nine at that at the time I'm growing up in Detroit in the 80s. Detroit was was about 84, 85 percent black. You you hardly you pretty much didn't have a whole lot of diversity on the other end. So for me, I was always around black people. It wasn't as it, it didn't hit me with in terms of race. Really didn't hit me until I got to college. And I, I'm up there, and suddenly we're 20 percent of the school population in East Lansing. Being in Minnesota. What was it like? And I've noticed that this point was made a few times in the book, and both of you can feel free to chime in on this. What was it like with Jasmine being the product of an interracial relationship? I mean, yeah, obviously, to to black folks know black people when we see them. It'll make a difference how dark or light you are. I, Jasmine, you wouldn't, you weren't fooling me. I know you're black as soon as I see you. But it's what is that like in a place like that part of Minnesota where you have not a lot of us. And there, I know there's this humorous story of the basketball game and you're cheerleading, but what is that like? What was that like at there with Jasmine being the product of a interracial relationship in an area that doesn't seem like it was that progressive at the time? I think that's biracial identity in itself is just multi-layered and complex. Um, at the time where we were living in Minnesota, where my dad still resides, um, Blaine, Minnesota, was predominantly white. It's actually, I don't believe it's predominantly white anymore. It's 
Um, my little brother is actually at the high school that I went to right now, and I feel like there's a lot more kids of color there <laughs> today there, than there were when I was there. There are, but it's still predominantly white. Okay. <laughs> but it's not like it's not like when we moved out here. No, we yeah. were the we were the only ones basically. Yeah. But go, go ahead, Jasmine. I gotta let you finish here, and then I'll. Say we, something. I think, for me, growing up and trying to understand biracial identity is very challenging, um, because. I grew up in a household where both my mother and my father told me, like, you're black. One drop, you black girl, head out into the world. And what happens is when you go out into the world, namely black folks will kick you back and tell you you're not black. Ah, Because my skin is light. Because I don't have enough black features. Because my hair's not black enough, right? So I was always kind of caught in this weird middle place where I was never black enough to be black. But I was never white. Like, so I always looked different. And I had the little white girls rubbing my skin and asking me if I just tanned a lot or if it rubbed off. And we had, you know, my first little boyfriend in third grade. We were all good until his parents came to track and field day and saw me. And then after that, we were never allowed to speak again. <laughs> like, so I, I had kind of all of those. I guess, racially driven experiences of living in a predominantly white area. But I also had a tough time other than within my family unit, really figuring out what a not a hundred percent pure black identity meant for me. I've discovered a lot more of that as I've gotten older. Um, and actually funny story. So even when I published the book, I'm black and I have a dad, I got blowback from people. Um, what was, what was I called? Uh, light-skinned girls are always trying to be opportunists stealing black women's stories but you're you're black you can't steal Thank something you. you can't steal something that's yours <laughs> yeah <but that's, laughs> i think it's important to call out that part of why biracial identity is so challenging is because of it comes from our own fucking people hey now <laughs> is because You know, if anybody asks me, what am I? They want to know what colors my skin. So they're really looking for where the blackness comes from. But then if I have the goal to identify as black, all of a sudden I'm an opportunist mixed trick, right? But I am black. And and I don't have to say, I feel like I never have to say that I'm mixed because you can look at me, you know. But if you ask me, what are you? Which I get asked all the time. And I say, oh, French, German, Irish. You're just sitting there at the edge of your seat waiting for me to explain my blackness to you. <laughs> it's, I, I see it all the time. I see it with, I mean, the, the light skin, dark skin wars have, have waged as long as we've been here in this country. As long as we've been around. That's, that's, going, that's going way back. That's back to the days of the paper bag tests and, and passing and, and being made fun of for being too black, not black enough. I mean, Barack Obama got it for a while that he was both too black and not black enough at the same damn time. Well, Colin Kaepernick, same thing. That's same, another yeah, one. Yeah. So, Jay, let me, I, I'd like to speak on this for just a second, because I think that maybe this is a good spot to clear up some stuff about Minnesota, number one, and then maybe maybe some of your listeners may be interested in to understand, because one of the things that I dealt with like moving out, we talked about moving to the suburbs. So let's not talk about Minnesota as if there are no blacks here, because that would not be correct. Um, there are a lot of blacks here, and I was raised in a black neighborhood my whole life. Um, but um, 
Uh, so I'll talk about that first, and then I'll tell you why I made the decision to take my daughter and move her out of the inner city and out of the hood, the neighborhood, if you will, um, where our comfort zone was, and move her out into an environment um, that allowed that what has, she's describing to you to happen to her. Um, first, um, I I was raised in, in, as I said, I've always lived in, in predominantly black neighborhoods, but I've always gone to predominantly white schools. So a, along with my brothers and sisters, my mother was, and this was during during all the busing uh, things that were happening mostly in the, in the southern states, my mother actually went and uh, petitioned the, the school board so that her kids in the neighborhood we grew up in, there was the black uh, elementary school and, and junior high and high school, and she petitioned the, the school district so that she could take her kids across University Avenue, basically, into the white neighborhood to the white school. And they did everything to stop her, but they she got permission. And what they wouldn't do is they wouldn't actually physically come get us. So we used to walk, <laughs> you know, two miles to school in through the white neighborhood to go there. And 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 I, I, I tell this story because it it may answer some of the some of the potential questions about why I made some of the decisions that I made. So I've always had a black identity. I've always made sure my kids have a black identity. Um, um, but it's it's about being double conscious, and it's about being in an environment that isn't designed for you. You gotta learn how to how to navigate it to have any success, and that was my mother's belief, and still is. And so so that's what she did with and for her kids. So what I did when I when I had Jasmine, and um, we actually were living you know in in the city, but in the in the outskirts a little bit, and I made the decision to move a little further out get a few acres of land and, and, you know, I'm, I'm not far, I'm 20 miles from, from either, either one of the downtowns. Um, but I knew I was coming to a place where there were, she would not see, um, people that looked like her or many of them. I, I also believe your, your, your racial identity is taught to you at home. No different than the Italians do or the Irish do when they teach what it's like to be in Ireland or they teach the Sicilian way or whatever. Those things are taught at home. So I believe that Jasmine's blackness comes from her family and comes from home. Um, uh, primarily, that's our responsibility. Um, but, and, and, and this, is just, this is just the long and short of it, and I'm not apologetic about what I'm about to say, and that is this. We as a people are part of the problem. We don't give ourselves a break. We don't give others of us a break. We sign up for, because we've been talked to, by the way, um, so we sign up for the narrative. We become our own worst enemies. And here's what I remember as a, as a, as a teen. What I remember it is, my, so I, we moved to Maplewood, which is a first-tier suburb, predominantly white, but we lived in a three-block radius that was all black. And the white folks called it Nigger Island. That's where the blacks were. And we'd go to school and never got invited to anything. And I was a little bit of an exception to that, my brothers and I, because we were athletes. So we got invited to certain kinds of things. But we had to deal with friends like Jasmine talked about that all of a sudden you get into high school, they don't talk to you anymore. But here's what I, but here's the upside and here's what I remember. So we spent all our weekends and anytime we could, we'd go right back to the hood because that's where our friends were and that's where we were accepted. But here's what I remember. I remember the conversations. And I remember people in high school and that talking about 
what girl was pregnant or who was going to do this kind of dirt or that kind of dirt or that kind of hustling sort of thing that we tend to do to ourselves. But when, but when I'm out in the suburb and I'm, and I'm listening to the white folks, what they're talking about is what college I'm going to go to, what job I'm going to get. So, and it's, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to generalize too much and say it's, it's all or nothing because it's not, but it was much more prevalent, you know, so to give yourself a chance. So what I did is I made the decision that life is hard enough and the battles are hard enough, especially as a teenager with all the other stuff that come at you, that I wanted to surround my, my child with people that talked about planning life and doing things in life and being successful. So, you know, so another one of those tidbits is if you want to do something, you surround yourself by people who are either doing it, have done it, or trying to do it. You, you can't learn how to be a successful business owner if you're not around any people that, that only people that have never owned a business. Um, so, so, I made, so I made that decision and I took some heat for that by friends. You know, I'm a sellout, you know, because I moved out here and my family actually had an intervention. When I decided to move where I'm, where I live right now, because they were concerned that I was taking my baby and moving out into an area where we were going to end up getting lynched. Wow. True story. My mom as well. My mother chose to stay in the inner city. And my mother's, and her mother's white, but she was so concerned. She actually took me to court to get custody. And her reasoning was. I was not, you're going to love this. This was a white woman taking me to court, a black man. And her reasoning was, I was not teaching my daughter her racial identity. (laughs) By moving out to the suburbs to get out of the inner city to have a shot at a better life or or, a better situation. So an education, right? I mean, he took me out of the inner city, but he also sent me to, you know, very expensive private schools. I mean, the level of education that I received was also top tier. So it wasn't just about moving us out of the neighborhood. It was also about just opening opportunities, right? I never had to work in high school because school was my job. The schools that I went to were some of the best rated in the state. So I was ready for college. Like, it's all really it was a very well thought out plan to give me the skills I needed. Yeah, and when she says that school was her job, that's that's actually true. And, and we sat down and had that conversation. I'm a firm believer in you set expectations early and often. So it was, yeah, you don't have to go work at McDonald's because I'm going to give you your little pocket money and stuff. But the flip side of that is you better not bring no report card here that has less than an A on it. <laughs> Which was a hard lesson for both of us when it came to math. Yeah, <laughs> but, but now if you've got a problem like math, like she brought up, what did dad do? Dad went and got her a tutor. Three days a week. It was brutal. <laughs> to make sure that she could make that up. So, so it's, not a, it's not about a free ride. It's about those are the things that I felt as a parent, if I could give them to her, which meant I did without things. I didn't drive a brand new vehicle, you know, because you know, I'm not rich, you know, but I do fine. And, and there were, Jasmine talks about she, she, we did how much we did and everything, but the reality is, is she doesn't know that for months upon months we ate hamburger helper and mac and cheese and ramen noodles because that's all dad could afford, you know? Oh, yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't supposed to know those things. And, and she had, she alludes to that in the book, some of the issues we had, she had with her, we had with her mother who got sick. 
Um, but there was a lot of, there was a lot of, um, you know, and people who've been through divorces get the whole fighting and stuff, but there were a lot of things that Jasmine, you know, never knew about. And what I did when mom didn't show up for visitations and things and dad had a date or whatever, Jasmine never knew that because the, my response was, Hey, cool. I was, didn't want to be alone tonight. So I'm really glad you're now staying home. And then we found something to do because, because it was more important to me that she never felt the pain of what us dumbass adults do. It's it's funny that you you bring that you bring that up because I mentioned my mother was divorced. I mean, most people don't know that when I talk about my dad, he's technically he's technically my stepdad. He's the one who's all I've always known. But my I didn't know we were struggling. I didn't figure out that my mother and I were struggling until I was in my twenties. I said, wait a minute, we had the instead of having a bottle of orange juice, you had a can that had a white label and it just had like a, a cartoon orange on it. That was our orange juice. <laughs> We had, the, we had the we had the we we had the government cheese we had the we we had we were dealing with it all, and this is this is Detroit early 80s so I'm and having to use my brain here like this is about 1982 83 84 in Detroit struggling my mother's teaching and she's trying to take care of all this and babysitting and my aunt is is watching me and all and all this it's like it's that, that's real that that's real and and you went through all that and you raised a hell of a daughter you, you did. Yeah. I'm uh, jazz. I ain't saying nothing. I haven't already told you. So this is <laughs> this is nothing. This is nothing new here. I I will say this, and you brought this up as we as, as maybe this might be the thing that we kind of close this out on. the The last time jazz was on here, it was one of the more notorious shows because next to a show I did in September of 2016, it was by far the most graphic show we did. <laughs> it was. Very graphic. Said so Jazz is not does not hesitate to talk about anything, especially dealing with women. As, and, and as not, even, not even to me. Not not even you. <laughs> she doesn't hesitate. So that's what I'm going. That's what I'm going to bring up here is that Jazz, you're very free. You're 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 a free spirit. You're you're everything free. It seems. How does that <laughs> How does that vibe with your dad? How do you two? How do, How do you talk about that? I guess. Not just how do you talk, but when was the first time you you kind of just realized that Jasmine's doing her thing and is going to be uh, be uh, as open a book as possible? When she was four. <laughs> so, uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm actually I'm actually serious. So here's what I'll share with you. When I knew Jasmine was going to be, when, and, and let's give her mother credit. Jasmine is very much has the personality of her mother, who is who is very much a free spirit and very much a. She's got the, a cool mix of driving and 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 that um, that free spirit kind of attitude. So and and because I'm much more uh, patterned and I always have a plan and I'm always working a plan. You know, her, her mother used to. We would go on road trips and everything, and her mom would drive down the streets and get us lost, which would drive me crazy, and she would do it because she wanted to see different things, where for me it was, no, the pattern is, we've got the plan, you know, so Jasmine has a great mix of that, which is awesome. I actually said something, something when when I was thinking about this particular uh, uh, interview, I was thinking about it, and, and what, I, what I'll say, and then I'll, I'll let Jasmine talk, is um, I, I am blessed with the fact that uh, that if I, way back in the day, if I could have said this is what I want my adult life with my adult child to be like, um, I think I have that. And, and, and I don't know exactly when it happened or how it happened, but I came to the realization that 
Jasmine and I were were able to successfully maintain and still do a, a, a father daughter relationship, which makes in that from that perspective, Jasmine subordinate to me. But we we have also we are also best friends, and which which makes us equals. Um, so we have figured out, and I and I can't I, I don't know that I could give someone this is how I can only tell them that this is what we have is that we are we are best friends and we are father and daughter and we have we successfully make that work well first of all let's just put it on the table that there are plenty of things that i do that my dad feels <laughs> less than charmed over um, <laughs> he is endlessly supportive i will say that he not only you know reads femcon and keeps up on the stuff i'm writing about he's continually sending me you know articles or things he's reading about you know uh, abortion or feminist movements or the me too stuff that i know he wouldn't be reading if it weren't for the fact that that i'm so invested that now he's become very invested because now it's something that we can have together um but i i think it's it really just comes from the fact that we've been together for so long i just think we had to be one-on-one and we had to get through everything together. And in the book, I talk about my first period, you know, how I get my period and I've been babysitting and I come home and I'm just pumped because like, I'm a woman, like I fucking got this. Show me some respect. I'm an adult now. I think I was 12. Um, so I like, you know, big announcement time. I'm bleeding. And he's like, show me where. And I'm like, this creep, like, are you serious with this right now? But it's because he's a dad, right? He's like, what do you mean you're bleeding? Tell me where. I'm like, no, my vagina. Like, I'm bleeding. Like, I'm, hello, woman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> now, the, 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 Jay, the look, on, the look on her face when I said that was I so, I so deflated her unintentionally, and then I realized what she was talking about, so then I was embarrassed. But, but it was, you know... That's what I do is I protect, I protect my baby. <laughs> but that's, we had to go through all that together. And I think as a result of going through so much of that, we got to a place where it didn't mean we didn't have boundaries, but it just means that we can share things together. And personally, I think that raising your kids in an environment where they can talk to you about sex or periods or whatever, right, is is the best case scenario because I've always known that if something happened, I could go to my dad and tell him. I've never felt like if something happened to me or, you know, I just, I've always felt like I had that relationship and that's very useful because it allows your parents to protect you, frankly. And there have been situations in my life, um, for example, I was slipped something in my drink at college. And at the time, I was going to college in Minnesota, and all my friends knew my dad. So as soon as I started acting real woozy and throwing up everywhere, one of my friends grabbed me and called my dad, and he came to get me. And I woke up the next morning, and my dad was like, listen, I don't know what. I don't know what happened last night, but, like, you need to tell me what you need. You need to tell me if we need to go to the hospital. Like, you need to tell me what we do next. And I think... The fact that we could be together on that level has really set the stage for my entire life so that not only with anything that, that's urgent and crazy, but also just things I'm into, right? Like, he knows I'm continually half-naked on Instagram. Is it his favorite? Yeah, not really. <laughs> I would, yeah, I, but, I would guess. Know, is he ashamed of it, or does he feel like he doesn't know who I am? Not at all. And if something were to happen to me, like, everything is in my dad's name. If something were to happen to me, 
my dad, I have no qualms about my dad looking through my iPad or cleaning up my apartment or because he knows who I am as a person and I know who he is as a person. And I think that's really powerful when you're, when you know who you are. And I think I've always taught you, Jasmine, that I don't, I don't judge you. It's not about judgment and I don't, and I don't judge. You're, 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 you are who you are and you are where you are in life. And, and that is beautiful. And you need to grab hold of it and, 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 you know, make it bend to whatever you want it to be. So I, you know, there's no judgment with me. I listen to parents nowadays who, uh, we've got a friend now that's, uh, uh, not a friend, but someone, someone that Jill works with, you know, my fiance and, and, uh, their, their daughter has decided to identify as a, as a male. And it's like, you know, good, you know, good. They know who they are, support them. You don't, you don't have to agree, but you do have to support. I think with that, as we are, we have, I think we could probably do this for another two hours, but <laughs> it's just, this has been, this, this has been a hell of a conversation here. And I appreciate you guys before I let you go, obviously promote the book. Put over whatever shit you're doing. Get it out there. Make sure everybody hears this because I want them to come to come to you, Jasmine. So get it out there. Let them know what you're doing. Tell them about the book and everything else. Well, first off, Jay, thank you so much for having me twice um, and being so supportive about, you know, helping me get the message about this book. I think, you know, you and I talk a lot about how we need to come together and support each other and promote each other's businesses and help each other be successful. And I cannot tell you what it means to have you, you know, reach out to me and offer to promote the book um, on your podcast. Well, I do appreciate it. It's it's my pleasure. It, it's I've, I've always made it a point to tell people that the thing about this show is is that yeah I talk a whole lot of shit about sports I have a lot of fun on this show but at the same time I want there to be points where we can be somewhat serious this is a hell of a conference like a serious conversation again if you were uncomfortable listening to this that's the point but we need this we need this sort of thing and I will say this your dad is the first male guest I've had on this show <laughs> I've had I've I've had five. Uh, Jazz is the first return guest. Everybody's been a woman. You're the first. You're the first. You're the first dude to break the ice in here besides me. <laughs> it's the. I like that. I and, like that. I couldn't and and I couldn't ask for a better person to do it. Mr. Mr. Duke, you've raised you've raised a hell of a young woman. I'll, I'll t- tell you that straight up. You've raised you've raised a hell of a young woman. She's she's an awesome person. And I, w- Thank you, Jay. I wouldn't have it wouldn't have it any other way. Get where can people find this book? Okay, for those of you interested, um, if for more about me, first of all, my name is Jasmine Duke. I'm on all socials under that. We also have a Facebook page under Jasmine Duke as well for the book where I post family photos, more funny stories, conversations that my dad and I are having um, on a regular basis. If you're looking to buy the book, it's called I'm Black and I Have a Dad. It is on Amazon in digital Kindle edition as well as paper. And if you're interested in the work that I do on feminism, the website is thefemalecondition.com. Perfect. Thank you both for talking to me this evening. I appreciate you coming through here. And obviously, you know, you're always welcome back. And Mr. Duke, thank you so much for, for coming on with her. And by the way, thank you for your service to the country too, sir. Uh, and thank you. And thank you for supporting my baby girl. And there you have it. I want to thank Jazz and her dad, Aaron, for coming on this show. And yes, Aaron Duke is the first male voice that's not mine that has actually been featured prominently on this show. That's some progress for you. 
I'll say that much, but I couldn't ask for a better guy to be the first dude to make his guest appearance here on the show. I want to thank each and every one of you once again for supporting me and supporting the show. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and I'm telling you to take care of yourself. God bless. Always dare to be different. Always have your pets spayed or neutered. Remember to adopt and not buy. And we are out of here. JSC TV makes its return on RVN TV this weekend. And for those of you who are in about 85% of the country, stay warm, cover your ass, and try not to freeze. And we will see you next week with episode 62. And coming up in a couple of weeks, it's the next retro review. And we're going to be looking at the 1998 Royal Rumble. Until next time, goodbye, everybody. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. I heard on the news about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online. For like a year, she couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.